wonderful choir praying for you as we gather back here this afternoon and tonight. Romans chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11. I invite your attention there as we preach this morning. Uh, overview of this center section of the book of Romans. Amen. Thank you again, choir, orchestra. Good to have you kind of old school down here on the ground floor with me as we used to do in days gone by. Amen, amen. Well, we come to Romans and uh, the first eight chapters uh, can be summarized, justification by faith. I mean, it's just there. He's just preaching the gospel. Uh, we understand that we're justified by grace through faith. When we get over to chapter 12, he's going to move into a practical application of the gospel. But right in the middle, Paul becomes a pastor. He becomes an evangelist. Uh, he's brokenhearted about his own people, and he begins to deal with Israel. In a message I've entitled Israelology, I never heard that word in my life till I was reading a few days ago or a week or two back, and it popped off a page somewhere. I said, I like that word, amen. And so uh, I just borrowed it and trailerized it and stuck it on this sermon, all right? So uh, Israelology. Uh, as we look at a study and thought about Israel, uh, you can give kind of an overview. It's not exactly this way, but it's pretty close that uh, chapter 9 is Israel in the past, chapter 10 is Israel in today, and chapter 11 is Israel in the future. And so you can see that past, present, future aspect in this text. So we come to look at Israelology, and I'm going to read from each of the chapters. Won't read, of course, the whole uh, of these three, but give us an overview of Israel. We begin in Romans 9, verses 1 through 6. You follow along because this now is the word of our great God. Paul speaking, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. You hear the pastor's heart coming through. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belong the adoption as sons, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the temple service, and the promises. Whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Christ, according to the flesh, who is over all? God blessed forever. Amen. For it is not as though the word of God is failed. For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is their salvation. He's praying for the Jewish nation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. Chapter 11, we pick up the text in verse 25 and read to the end of the chapter. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of the mystery so that, you will, uh, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the future fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, 
just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But for the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience. So these also now have been disobedient that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. You have to be living on a planet somewhere without communication to not have known of Hamas coming against the nation Israel weeks ago. It has been the newsworthy item all around us and Israel defending itself and coming in retaliation against Hamas and that that has come to be the eye focus, of course, is Gaza. Many are saying that the Jews should leave them alone and go back to their homeland, and yet bombs continue to fall. Others call and say, well, uh, these people are being hidden in hospitals, therefore if you come against them, uh, you'll do harm to uh, those that uh, are not guilty. Many of those things can be argued and are true. And out of this has arisen in our own nation, again, this high sense of anti-Semitism coming against the Jew, rising so far and so high that at Harvard and at the University of Pennsylvania, presidents have spoken out against Israel and against the Jew, becoming so hot at Penn that the president was forced to resign this weekend because of her anti-Semitism. And I would simply raise my voice and say uh, to the president of Harvard, how about you? Uh, you coming against the Jew in such a way uh, and being anti-Semitic in a, the halls of higher education, you've never looked more foolish than to speak out in the way that they have done it. It is one thing to be educational. It is another thing to be anti-Semitic and come against a nation and speak in the way that it has been spoken. Nevertheless, uh, it's real, it's in front of us, and it's there. And this text comes at a perfect time for that. I, I want to share three thoughts out of this text, but before I do, I want to drop just a little bit of a history lesson uh, in front of us. So let's begin with the greatest history book ever written, uh, the book of Genesis chapter 15 and verse number 18, where the Word of God says to us 
on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt, which river is that? The Nile, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. So God said to Abram, I've made a covenant with you from the Nile to Euphrates, I've given you this land. Understand Israel has never claimed all of that ever in its history have they ever had all of that they will one day but it has not happened as of yet and then in chapter 17 and verse number 8 I will give to you and your descendants after you the land of your sojournings all the land of Canaan for an how long everlasting possession and I will be their God Years go by and then Joshua records in Joshua 21 and verse number 43. So the Lord gave Israel all the land which he had sworn to give their fathers and they possessed it and lived in it. So we find over 4,000 years ago that God has made a promise to Abram and his people and given them the title deed from the Euphrates to the Nile and from the Nile to the Euphrates all of that as their everlasting covenant land. This is 2,600 years before Muhammad is born and you ever hear the word Islam. This is 2,100 years before you ever hear the word Palestine uttered. That nation is not Palestine, it is Israel. Then in 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar comes to Jerusalem, takes the city, and destroys the temple. The Jews at that time are dispersed around the world. Generation comes and generation goes, and yet the Jew is not in their homeland. Christ comes. The church is born. The Spirit of God falls. We understand the gospel. In 135 A.D., Hadrian, who is the ruler of the land at that time, puts the tag on the land of Israel and calls it Palestinia, a Latinized version of the word Philistine because the Philistines have been the grand enemy of Israel, Hadrian sticks it to them by using Palestinia, which we now use as Palestine. And from 135 A.D. until the mid-1900s, we have just used that word over and over, and many still use it today for the land that we call the Holy Land and call it Palestine. That was 135. Almost 500 years later in 610, Muhammad is born. Islam comes to be a reality. The Dome of Omar is built in Jerusalem as the Mohammedans take the city. And today, if you visit there, you will see that temple, the Dome of Omar, glittering in gold that we paid for. As you walk in it, you take your shoes off and go in, and there is a great stone there 
and that's where they will go to worship. When you come out and go down the steps and around the corner, you come to the Wailing Wall, the Jewish place of prayer, up to the hill with the Mohammedans, down to this wall, which was the only portion left of Solomon's temple, and you can look down a grate and see the foundation stones of how uh, they were laid and built. Oh, and there are Jewish friends come to the Wailing Wall, and I've been there, many of you have been there, and put a prayer on a little note and stick it in one of those cracks and pray in that place. Well, in 610, Mohammedans, Islam, born there on the hill, and that dome built. And since 610, all the way down, you're 1,000, 12, 1,400, there's been this tension all the way down until 1917. Britain ruled the world then, and the Balfour Treaty, the Balfour Declaration was made. And there the Brits established a homeland for the Jewish people. And said, here will be in this slice called Palestine the homeland for the Jew. That lasted five years. And in 1922, Hussein, the Hussein family, came to speak with Churchill. Churchill was not the prime minister. He was the secretary of state. And history records that the leader of the Hussein family and Churchill literally took a map with a pencil and just drew a line from the north end all the way down, right down the Jordan River and said, everything on the east side, Jordan. Everything on the west side, Jewish. And today, you go there and you find Jordan when you cross the river, Israel, the West Bank, when you are on the other side. And then 26 years later, the Cussing Baptist stepped in. Harry S. Truman, there in the middle of the war, or at the end of it, Truman stepped in and solidified the homeland, and Eisenhower would underline it, that Israel is the Jewish state. And from that day until this day, there has been great volatility. Where is the wall? Where, where is the Western Bank? If you try to go into Bethlehem for Christmas, oh, man, you're going to have a hard time. Uh, because that guy with that machine gun's coming on your bus. And how you cross over and what's where and the walls are built. There's still grand tension uh, that is there. And then down uh, that Gaza Strip, the Palestinians come to view again. And there in Gaza with war and lobbying bombs and all of that goes on in our world. Why is there such hatred for the Jews? Someone asked the Prussian, not Russian, but the Prussian king a thousand years ago, give me one word that will give validity that the Bible is the Bible. And the preacher said to the king of Prussia, Israel. The only word you need. You can't find a Canaanite. You can't find a Hittite. You can't find a Jebusite. But you can find a Jew. 
Why is that? Because God made it eternal. And it is forever and ever. Amen. Why does the wicked one hate? Well, he hates it because God's redemptive plan comes to the Jew. That's why in Revelation 12, verse 4, you'll see the old dragon coming, uh, trying to breathe fire and, and kill the church of the living God, wanting to destroy the Christ himself. Why does he hate him? Because the Jewish people gave us the Christ. That's why. Why does the wicked one hate the Jew? Because the Jew gave us this book. He hates him. He comes against him. Why does the world hate the Jewish people today even though they don't realize their foundation of the Word of God and the church of the living God and the Christ of him? It's because our faith has come through Jewish blood. So Paul, after preaching about justification by faith, he falls into a pastoral heartache. He's Jewish, but he got saved. He's walking down the road to Damascus, lightning strikes him, and the gospel hits him, and he's gloriously transformed. He comes out of his Judaism. He, he knows all of these things. He knows the, the glory and the covenants and the law and the temple and the promise. He knows all of that found in verses 4 and 5. But now he's understood the Christ. And his passion comes for his brothers and sisters. And so let me give you three things out of this text today. We could preach for a year and not get done just with these three chapters going syllable by syllable. But I just want to give you this overview. Three things I want you to see. Number one, two Israels. Two Israels. Chapter 9, verse number 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. There is Israel the whole, that is the physical Israel of all descendants of all the Jews of all the time. Then there is the Israel of God, the spiritual Israel, those that have believed on the Lord Christ. You see this dichotomy as you look back and you see it outlined as he begins to speak about it in verses 7 and following. There's Ishmael and Isaac, two sons, same father, but different mothers. Ishmael. Abraham's son? Yes, but Hagar. Isaac, Abraham? Yes, but his wife, who thought she was too old. And so you have Ishmael and Isaac and the great divide that has been for all time. Then coming out of Isaac, of course, is Esau and Jacob. And the younger shall serve the older. And all oh, that text that gives so much problem to a lot of people, God says that Jacob I've loved thee so I've hated. Now understand, that is a, a Hebrew idiom. Okay, he, he's not saying like you hate your enemy. It's like Jesus said, if you come and follow me, if you do not hate mother or father, brother and sister, and come and follow me. Well, he doesn't tell you hate your mother. That's not the principle that we understand. But it looks as if the way you love him in the balance of that, it looks like hatred the way you love your mother, the way that you love your King Jesus. Well, he's not saying here that he had no affection whatsoever for Esau. He's saying that he loved Jacob with all of his soul. They're two sons, same father, but with the same 
mother. And God's word has not failed. There is that great dichotomy. It was then. It is now. There are two Israels. There is an Israel that comes through physical descent. Then there is an Israel that has come spiritually. And these Jews have been saved. Dr. Criswell, First Dallas, they had a great ministry to Jewish people. They had an elderly gentleman who had come with faith in Christ, a Jewish man coming out of the temple and came to faith in Christ. And he used him as an illustration again and again and how they went into the world. Listen to me. The Jewish people of Pensacola should have no greater friend in this city than Olive Baptist Church. Amen. They are not our enemies. We love them. We care for them. Their race has given us so much, and we want them to know. I challenge you to challenge them. Take the book, the book they believe. Matter of fact, the book they probably know better than you know. Those 39 Old Testament books just lay the life of Jesus over against the promises of that book, and you cannot but have to lie to yourself to say that Jesus is not the fulfillment and the great Messiah that is coming. He's king of kings. He's lord of lords. He fulfills every promise in the book. And God has not failed. There are two Israels. Secondly, I'd use the phrase remnant Israel. Chapter 9, verse 27. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. Chapter 11 And verse number 5, in the same way then there also has come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. There's that remnant, that small group. He quotes it out of uh, chapter 10 when he goes back and looks at Elijah. You remember Elijah? And and Elijah said, oh my Lord, I'm all by myself. And he says, oh no, 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 I've got 7,000 that have not bowed their knee to to Baal yet. I have a remnant, a small group. We're never alone. Hallelujah. God's got his remnant. How does a Jew come to faith in Christ? He comes just like a Gentile does. And he lays the gospel out right here in chapter 10, beginning in verse number 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Say it out loud. Saved. For with a heart... A man believes resulting in righteousness, and with a mouth he confesses resulting in what? Salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved, saved, saved. And then he says, well, how, how can they call on him in whom they've not believed? How can they believe in him who they've not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. (laughs) The remnant must believe. But the remnant must hear. And how do they hear but that a preacher goes? And how does a preacher go but that is a preacher is sent? Let me just step away from the pulpit for a moment and say to you, thank you are paying the preacher not as monetary help to me though I am grateful for that but for you keeping a voice I'll be dead and gone one of these days but there'll be another voice and after that another voice 
because the church will see to it that, that there is a herald from this place. But not just from this pulpit, from that pew. You are to hear. How will they hear unless we preach? And how will they preach unless they're sent? We must go with the gospel. On Tuesday of last week, I was on the campus of Northeast State Community College where I played two years of junior college basketball. I was there speaking to their college group, just a small group that they have meet at noon every Tuesday. And I shared my story my conversion uh, with them. They have a young man there, and he, he does that work on that campus. Glory to God. How do those students hear? How in the world do they believe but that a preacher is there and someone sends him? Thank God for that. It's just not monetary. It, it's the touch uh, of the church and, and the vision of the church in sending out the preacher. There's a remnant in Israel today. There are Jews in this community who are messianic. They're what they use the phrase. They've come to faith in Christ. There's a great frustration in my soul when I have people that leave our church and go join a messianic fellowship because they believe they're supposed to worship on Saturday and keep the Ten Commandments. Eat the dietary law. They've not understood They've misapplied the word of God. Christ has fulfilled all of that. In Jesus. If you eat pork, you go to heaven faster. I'm not saying it's not a good plan. I'm just, just telling you it's the way of righteousness is what I'm telling. The way of righteousness is the Christ. Amen. Jesus has come. For the Jew and the Gentile. Thank God that the remnant of Jews believe. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There are two Israels. Remnant Israel. And then there's that great old text that gives people a lot of problems. In chapter 11 and verse 26. All Israel saved. All Israel. Look at it. He says. In verse 25. He doesn't want you to be ignorant. Be wise in your own estimation that this partial hardening has come to Israel, to the fullness of the Gentiles, so that all Israel will be saved. Just as written, the deliverer will come from Zion, and he will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sin. Now, there's a partial hardening that has come to the Jew. You cannot help but deal with the doctrine of election when you come to Israel. But in these three chapters, you find those great, great balanced truths of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. And if you try to cut either of those away from the other, you will bleed to death theologically. You bring those together. You understand divine sovereignty. God knows everything. God has elected. He has chosen. And yet there is human responsibility for whosoever believes will be saved. And God before the foundation of the world loved them. You say, I don't understand that. Join the club. You're not God. But those two truths work in tandem to bring us to the place of understanding the partial hardening of Israel and then the fullness of the Gentiles is going to come. Do do you understand one day somewhere on the planet, 
the fullness of the Gentiles is going to come in. Some preacher is going to be standing in a country church somewhere, give the invitation, and a young man's going to walk down the aisle and he's going to take the preacher's hand and the father's going to look over to the son and say, that's the last one, go get them. There's a trumpet and a shout. You remember? We're out of here. Boom. The fullness of the Gentiles comes in and we're gone. You don't want to be here to be the most godless place you've ever seen all your life. You just exit every Christian out of Pensacola. You think it's tough now? No light, no salt, no church. Well, that day's coming. It'll be the fullness of the And then, after that is the end of the world. Rapture comes. Tribulation. Then God calls out 12,000 Jewish evangelists, 12 out of 12,000 out of every tribe, 144,000 evangelists go, and they preach the gospel. Jews get saved, and all of those that are alive and remain at that time at the end of the world, those are the Jews that will all be saved. When all Israel will be saved, and the deliverer comes out of Zion. What a glory day it'll be. I won't be here. Some of you are going to be here and living through it. Because you're lost. I beg you in Jesus' name, get saved today. My heart beats for you like Paul's heart was beating for his Jewish brothers and sisters. Paul said, I would to God, I could be a curse. Take my name out if they can come in. It's what Moses said. Remember what Moses said? Moses said, Lord, block my name out of the book if you'll save my people. Hmm doesn't work that way you can't give your life for another the one that needs to give his life's already given it glory to God the price has been paid at Calvary's cross and so we see there are two Israels in this text there's a remnant of Israel those that are saved and then there's a day coming when all Israel will be saved oh what a day glory 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 I'm going to ride a horse that day. We all coming back. Amen. Lord's charging. Let me give you four truths in conclusion today. Number one, this text would teach you be sure of your salvation. Be sure. You can know that you are saved. He gives the gospel right here. Do you know that you're saved today? Are you sure? I baptized a 65-year-old man right behind that Jesus has come sign today in the first service. This was the first for me. I baptized. Couldn't anybody see me except on the screens, and the guy with the camera had to put on waders and come in the water with me because the only way we could get to it, that thing's so close to the wall. So I'm getting ready to baptize. The guy with got the camera right there. It's all plugged in. I walked in. I said, in Jesus' name, don't drop that. That plugged-in cord and me will not get along, all right? That might have been the hottest the preacher had ever been in his life. I don't know. I, I asked him. He's up there. He said, I've come to know him. 
He lives in Atlanta. He wanted to be baptized here because he listens to us every week. Matter of fact, he told me Friday he listened to four of my sermons online Friday. He said, Pastor, I've watched everything online. He said, that's my life. But he said, I'm in a church. I'm getting in a church. He said, but I wanted to come to the church. His brother's in the church here. Tim Bishop came. And I baptized him, 65 years old, this morning. He said, I did something. I was way back as a kid, but he said, you know, I just went down there to the front because a bunch of kids did. He said, I didn't know anything. God didn't change my life. But he said, about two years ago, God changed my life drastically. He said, I know that I know him. I would say to you today, dear friend, I don't know who you are. Be sure of your salvation. Be sure. If you're not sure, come talk to somebody. Run out there to next steps today and let's talk. Come to this altar and let's talk. Number two, love your people. What do you mean love your people? Your people, love your, those people that are coming to your house for Christmas, love your people. Those folks where you're going to somebody, that's your people. And you're supposed to love everybody. I understand that. But, but, but Paul said, my Jewish family, I, I wish I could be a Paul loved his crowd. You got to love your crowd. Lo- love your people. Talk to them. Love them in Jesus' name. Let them know Jesus is Lord of your life. Paul laid down his life. Can you imagine? Just in your sanctified imagination, can you imagine being the brother of the Apostle Paul and inviting him home for holiday? What do you think he'd talk about? Well, I was writing this letter the other day. Would you like to read it? Well, Paul probably couldn't come because he's in jail half the time. But his people came to see him. But I'm telling you, love your people. I get this question all the time. It's it's the most oft-asked question I now get as a pastor. What do I do about my gay friends that are in my family at holiday? You love your people. I had a preacher who's a dear friend of mine. If I called his name here, many of you would know who he is. He, he called me one day because he has a son who's a homosexual. And he said to me, he said, because he's out there and he's very well known and he's in, online. And, and he said to me, he said, what, sh- should I confront him online? I looked, I sent him, an, I said, you listen to me. He and I are peers. We within this much of the same age. I said, if you ever bash your son online, I'll drive to Atlanta and I will whip your, and I didn't excuse myself when I told him. <laughs> and he sent back to me, he said, that's what I needed to hear. I said, don't you ever forget it. I said, you love your boy. Love your people. Amen. Doesn't mean you agree with everything. Doesn't mean you acquiesce all of that. And I don't know all kind of details coming. But, but dear friend, at the end of the day, you got to love the lost. That's what Paul did. He would die for his Jewish friend. Love your people. Be sure of your salvation. Love your people. And thirdly, proclaim Jesus. Tell it. 
Don't back up. Kindness won't get you there. You got to be kind to start, but then you got to get to the gospel. You got to get to the good news. I preached this week. Macklin Baptist Church, little country church out from Pisgah. <laughs> when you get out from Pisgah, you're in the country. <laughs> this is out from town. It's a big old rural church. They said Wednesday night they had the most people that ever been in that building. We, we had a great meeting. Had two young men, Brother Tim, called to preach Tuesday night. Had a great, great meeting. But on Tuesday afternoon, Brother Tommy, my dear friend, it's the interim pastor, invited me to come. He's two years ahead of me in age. He invited me to be there, and we went to make two visits. First of all, we went to see Don Jacobs. Don Jacobs was a rural mail carrier in Scottsboro, Alabama, when God saved him, called him to preach. Donald showed me the very mailbox. He said, this is the mailbox where I was. I was carrying my bag. God dealt with me, and I knelt down. I got right with God right here at this mailbox. I said, you got a letter from glory, didn't you? He said, yes, sir. And I opened it. I opened it. I opened it. He got gloriously saved. And God made him a preacher. He preached all, oh, my goodness. He's 85 years old now. We had a great time visiting with Brother Jake. And then we left there, and we went just a few blocks, and we went to my high school basketball coach's house. He was my coach's my senior year, only one year. But I knew him growing up. He was an All-American, most valuable player as a junior State of Alabama basketball tournament when they won the state tournament in 64. Went on to Auburn. I watched him play at Auburn. He guarded Pistol Pete Maravich. He was an All-American at Auburn. Then he became home to become our coach, and he's lost. He'd been sick, and we thought, well, just one more chance to talk to coach. It'd be great. And so we went by, and we visited and fellowship, but we knew we couldn't leave without proclaiming the gospel. And I'm sitting there thinking, how am I going to do it? How do I, you know, I mean, I love this guy and he's loved me. And, I, and, and Tommy jumped ahead of me. The guy that invited me. And then I started praying for him. And this is what he did. There were four of us there. The coach was there, his son-in-law, myself, and brother Tommy. And, and Tommy kind of leaned out on it. And he said, boys, he said, which one of the us do you think will die next? I thought, I know where he's going. <laughs> I started praying, oh, Spirit of God, go. Coach is the oldest one. He kind of looked up and he said, well, it'll probably be me. Old Tommy leaned right into the gospel. Began to talk about it and he said, Wallace, what's going to happen to you when you die? He said, I've made my peace. I'm ready to die. I wish I could have gotten more. I want to get more, but I got a little. That's the first time I'd ever heard him say that. Most of the time I'd talk to him, you talking about mean and rough and oh, man. He just cussed. I made my peace with God. Now, friend, you don't make your peace with God. God makes his peace with you. I know what he is saying. He's, trying, he's not a theologian, never even been to Sunday school, let alone seminary. But you've got to do more and feel good about it. You've got to confess Jesus as your Lord. Christ came and lived and died, rose again, sits at the right hand of the Father and says, whoever will come to me, I'll save him, and I'll know him for the foundation of the world. We walked out of there and got in the car, and I looked over, and I, I said, Tom, way to go, son. Praise God. I didn't know how to get started, and you just leaned right into it. 
You know, after a while, you, you get so old, you don't have to ask permission for things you used to have to ask permission for. Amen? No, Tommy just leaned in. I'm not that old, but he was old enough to. <laughs> don't laugh at me. He just leaned in and asked the hard question. And God, friend, proclaim. It, it's December. Have you told anybody this year? Amen. This is it. The year's nearly over. Have you talked to anybody? Romans. 9, 10, and 11 say preach. 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 Be sure. Love your people. Proclaim Christ. And number four, trust God. There is no injustice in him. You say, well, such and such sick. I'm here to tell you, God has never been injustice. You say, well, my son died. I'm telling you, there's no injustice in God. He does the right thing at the right time in the right way every time. He is holy, 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 thrice holy. There is no injustice in this holy God. He's pure. He loves you. He knows more than we do. And he is just in every case. People say to me, well, I just don't think that's right. Friend, you don't want right with God. You want mercy. You get right, you'll go to hell every time. You need the mercy of God. There's no way. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. This, this text, oh my. Oh, the depth of the riches. The last thing he said in verse 36, from him, through him, to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. You don't know what you ought to do with your life. You ought to live your life to the glory of God.